Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where I take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grove.church. And we had a uh, we actually had a question come in on the Facebook page, so specifically on the website, if you click on media, there's a Bible reading plan down there. there. So someone was wondering if we're to get Got to those. It. So in oh, case it's ever tripped you up. Why are you telling me that? I was like, I haven't already known. In Got case it. it's ever tripped you up. Got it. Makes total sense. Uh, and as usual, send us your questions. If you got questions that come up uh, as you're reading, as you're listening, or just at a random moment, uh, we would love to take some time as much as we can uh, on, a, on a regular basis to answer those questions. You can send us those questions in two ways. One is via email. Uh, you can send us uh, a message with the subject heading, uh, Let's Read the Bible Podcast Question, uh, or as some of our listeners, L-O-T-R-B. Uh, question. Yeah, Latrub. Uh, send us those questions via email. Uh, we'll take time to answer them as well. You can send that email to infogrove.church. Again, subject line, Let's Read the Bible Podcast Question. Or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. And so you can give us a thumbs up and like us while you're there, just so that way you can... See how cool we are. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you can send us those questions and we would have uh, some time to answer them as well. So looking forward to it. We got one today that we're going to take time at the end of the podcast to answer. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one for sure. So today we are going to be talking about, I've titled it A Tale of Two Kings. A Tale of Two Kings. And we'll be we'll be talking about two kings. We won't spoil what we think of them, but it'll become... It'll, it'll become, become pretty apparent pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a big mystery. But Evan and I are disagreeing about it. I think they're phenomenal. No, I'm just kidding. These are the best kings. kings. These are the best kings. But we're talking we're talking about Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and these are the two kings, the first two kings of the divided Israel, so yep. the divided kingdom. So Rehoboam is the first king of just Judah, and then Jeroboam is the first king. I guess not just Judah, Judah and Benjamin, and then Rehoboam is the first king of the northern ten tribes. So yeah, is it just Judah and Benjamin? Yeah, or Judah and Simeon. Anyway, Judah and, Ooh, Judah and one of the other remember? tribes. I, I think it's Benjamin. But then I remember I remember looking at maps and Simeon is like inside of... Anyway, there's this This is not important. So sorry, sorry, dear listeners. But anyway, uh, as far as resources that we're using today, uh, the ESV Study Bible, Logos Bible Software, Reformation Study Bible, and the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Meryl C. Tenney, and Moises Silva. Moises. So, always fun to say. All right, so let's... Start up with, we're going to talk a little bit about the lead up yeah. to the division of the kingdom because it's not something that it's just sad. Comes... It's a sad reality. It Let's really is. Honest. We kind of go from Saul being, starting off pretty good. Uh, and then he really, like a jump. he really knows dives. And then David takes over, uh, starts off really good, knows dives a little bit. Or but, starts off but, really good. But he ends up at Maintains the really good and then becomes stupid and yeah. knows dives from there. But even then he's, he's always... He's he is the comparison to all of the other kings. If, yeah, if you he's read the through, standard apart from Christ, right? If you um if you read through or if you've listened to any of our past episodes, we always have this scale of there's the bad kings, there's the okay kings, there's the good kings, and then there's the the kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like their father David before them. These yeah. are very few and far between. I think there's only there's a, not even a handful. I think there's three. Yeah. So it's Josiah and Hezekiah for sure. I'm not sure. If, is Uzziah part of that or no? I don't remember. I don't remember. We'll have to go back and listen to that podcast. So, for sure too. So if you didn't know that we did that throughout our podcast history, you should totally check it out because we have some fun in the in the ratings. I think yeah. we actually had some comments or some feedback that they really enjoyed. The, or, or maybe it was the... the um, we had a review that talked about The how. review, but then also you showed that some of our highest uh, downloads and things like that was some of those podcast types. So anyways, good kings, bad kings, great kings, and... 
sucky kings. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about a few of those. Uh, So the story of these two kings and the subsequent division of the nation of Israel actually begins many years before with everyone's favorite wise fool, King Solomon. Uh, And we call. (laughs) I love that you call them a wise fool king. uh, It's so his story is so we we've done a whole episode on him before, so we don't need to beat it up here. But it's it's so interesting. Go back and listen to that one too. Yeah. It's so interesting that he's just given incredible wisdom. And you can see it in his writings, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Yeah, he's a brilliant incredible man. Incredible wisdom in there. Um, Song of Solomon, it's different kinds of wisdom. but it's it, And then he just, he doesn't live by any of it. It's just, yeah. the, it's the most interesting thing. Well, so. it goes to show that wisdom is not, just because you're wise does not mean you're you're holy it doesn't mean it doesn't it means yeah. you're still you're still subject to compromise and and shortcomings and things like that even as we're going to read this passage here in a minute that's true so solomon was for those of you who don't know solomon was king david's son uh, he was chosen to inherit the throne i say chosen because he was not the oldest son so mm-hmm. he was not the one who was actually in line to inherit that one's name escapes me adonijah is that right anyway i don't remember but I'll, Speaking of things that aren't important, so Solomon takes over, um, and yeah, he starts off pretty hot, and then he he really nose dives at the end. Uh, he's certainly not the great king that his father was, and eventually uh, Yahweh God would inform Solomon that his sin would cost him, and that's where we get to this passage in First Kings eleven nine through thirteen. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it to you in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away my kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So there you go. So he basically says, you done screwed up. You had one job. That's such a sad passage. It really is. So Solomon's whole thing was, like, you get to build a temple, worship me lead the people in. I'm speaking from God's perspective here, but like, <laughs> like, you sure, yeah. Evan? No, so yeah, worship Yahweh in the way that he deserves to be worshiped, lead the people in that worship. And you see what Solomon does. It's, it seems like basically what happens is he's tempted by political alliances. A lot of his marriages, I'm sure a lot of it is just kind of lust as well of just wanting to have a lot of wives. And then that leads him into idolatry because yeah. he gets married and then he's kind of like, oh yeah, well, yeah, you can worship your gods. That's fine. And then all of a sudden he starts worshiping the gods and he's setting up places where people can work. Like he doesn't, um, doesn't maintain holiness. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't view worship of Yahweh as the most important thing. And we've talked about this before because I, th- and I, I like bringing it up because you hear it all the time. Yeah. And, but it's, it, it, Israel is not a monotheistic country at this no. point. Which they, is so crazy. They're to supposed about. to be, they should be. Um, and that's the constant call of God. But because, yeah. and the reason I say this is, is it gets brought up all the time. We're like, well, the evidence shows that the people of Israel at this time didn't just worship. Like, like yes, we know it's in the Bible. <laughs> like, it's clearly there, but they, it's treated like it's this almost um, proof that the Bible isn't true. When it's like, yeah. no, the Bible is very clear that they worship other gods. And even though, even though the Bible set, uh, addresses that this is happening, it doesn't condone it. Like, that's, that's the, I mean, that's also the important thing to remember too, is like, even as Evan said, like God is constantly calling his people back. He's constantly right. 
calling, saying, come back to me. That's what the book of Judges is about. That, I mean, that's what the, pro- anyways. That's, that's what the whole Bible is basically yeah, about. It's, it's come to me, like trust in me alone, no one else. So. Right. And so the, and the kings and of- And it's no different today. The kings of Israel and Judah are judged almost entirely based off of, do they allow the worship of other gods yeah. or do they lead the people away from that? Yeah. So, and there's- And that's our rating. That's the scale, right? It's, it's right. the great kings who kept or led the people back to worshiping only God tore down the high places, established the Holy, you know, the Holiness Code, established the law again, um, or they led them away or let them go astray. It's it's that kind of yeah. scale for us. So that's that's when we say good, bad, and worst. And we'll be talking a lot about the worship of other gods in this episode because yep. it's, uh, it's not a thing that, uh, spoilers, the next two kings don't exactly reform that very no, well. So they're, they're, they're great idiots. Um, and then I, th- I thought this was interesting. It occurred to me while I was uh, reading for this, uh, in an odd parallel to the story of his grandfather, uh, Solomon, sorry. Yeah. Grandfather. Jeez. I put grandfather there. Oh, like you knew like a fool. I was just trying to like, well, who are you talking about? Sorry. Uh, in an odd parallel, to the story of his father, Solomon would actually become aware of who this new King would be. And he would try to kill him. So just like Saul becomes aware that David has been anointed King and tries to kill him. Solomon becomes aware that the new King of Israel, who is Jeroboam, who is told that he would be the King. Mm-hmm. He tries to kill him as well. And Jeroboam ends up fleeing to Egypt until Solomon, Solomon dies. was such a wise king. So, and then he, he really, he really sold it there. Can, ha, ha, can we turn that, turn that into a verb? He really sold it up? No. No? no? Okay. But let's not talk about Jeroboam. Let's talk about Rehoboam first. So. Yeah. Hold Re- on to Jeroboam. Rehoboam. To put, put a pin in there. Uh, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And it's, so one thing is interesting. I've always thought of him as being a young man because the famous story- I did too. And then when I read this, I was like, wait, what? So the famous story, well, we'll, we'll, we'll let's get to the famous story and then we'll talk about this. But uh, so Rehoboam, after Solomon dies, Rehoboam travels to Shechem to be crowned king. And while he's there, the people ask him to specifically lighten the heavy yoke of Solomon, his father. And what this means is basically Solomon's ruling with a little bit of an iron fist, heavy taxes. They're saying, please lighten the load that your father have, have had on us. And Rehoboam replies that, hey, listen, go away for three days, come back and I'll have an answer for you. So he's going to go, he's going to talk to his counselors, he's going to see what the wise is. It's very Solomon-like. The idea of let's let's not be hasty, let's yeah. make a wise decision, and let's let's step back. Uh, the problem is his advisors suck. So getting into right. or actually, I to the better way to say it is he listens to the sucky advisors, not the smart advisors. So oh, yeah. it says in First Kings chapter twelve, starting in verse six. Then Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, "How do you advise me to answer this people?" And he said, and they said to him. If you will be a servant to the people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. That's great advice. Basically saying like, hey, if you show the people that you're willing to serve them, they're going to serve you. Yeah. And Rehoboam's like, eh, I don't know. So second opinion. It says, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So it's... Sorry, we'll keep going. Uh, And then he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you, you," they're just repeating that sentence a lot. You know, we get it. You know, that's what they said. Thus, you shall say to him, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, which is a horribly misshapen man. I got to say, not that this is actually literally true, but that's just a little bit like a pinky being the size of a thigh would just be terrible to live with. It's true. 
And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. This is the advice they give him. And so the one piece of advice is like, hey, be a servant to the people and they'll love you for it. And the other advice is, you know what you should do? Rule by fear. That works really well for a long time. You will gain so much power and influence by fear. So Rehoboam listens to those two pieces of advice and he decides to go with the advice of the younger advisors. Great job. Now, what's interesting is, uh, again, reading for this, Solomon reigned for a really long time. So Rehoboam is 41 yeah. when he, when this happens. I had to double take on that. That's which, crazy to me. Which is not like when I think of like a, the, kind, the, t- the type of person who would do this, this screamed to me, he's 18. Like this is the type of dumb decision that someone makes very early in their youth. Like, no, no, he's, he's in his 40s. He's a middle-aged man at this point making – and So crazy. And the advisors are also – when it says they grew up with him, so that means they're probably close to the same age. So these yeah. are not a bunch of dumb kids saying like this is they're what you should men. do. Oh, man. What are you going to do? And in fairness – to the advisors, it's it's horrible advice. A lot of kingdoms at this point, that is how they rule. Yeah. It's through fear. It's yeah. through slave labor. It's through the idea that, hey, if you want to disobey me, that's fine. I'm going to kill you and your family. So it's not like what they're saying is crazy. Because like, you know, today, and especially like, you know, if you think of like the, the modern West that we live in, if a politician came forward and said like, you know, President Trump disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions or president, you know, like whoever you're taking over for. <laughs> and like, you're like, hey, wait, if you hated the guy before, I'm going to make it worse. Yeah. Like that's not- You that's ain't not, seen nothing yet. Yeah. That's not palatable. That's not even like you would instantly just be removed from office or not get voted for. And so uh, to us, it sounds like a crazy thing. Back then, it was not the craziest thing to do. Still terrible advice. Yes. Um, and it's even made worse by the fact that Rehoboam got good advice and then rejected yeah. it. And then took terrible advice. So, ah, Rehoboam. All right. So I, I put down, uh, Rehoboam clearly inherits none of his, none of his father's wisdom <laughs> and almost immediately. He inherited a sliver. Yeah. Because he sought counsel. That's true. I guess he didn't make the terrible decision right away. He paused and then made a terrible decision. Yeah. Uh, almost immediately brings about the division of the nation. He would flee to Jerusalem and raise an army of 180,000 men. However, God himself would forbid them to attack. Um, And I thought this was an interesting passage, but so he has an army ready to go. Judah is easily the most powerful of the tribes. And so he still maintains control over Judah. Uh, He's ruling in Jerusalem. He raises his huge army. And then it says, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home according to the word of the Lord. So uh, maybe maybe Rehoboam does inherit a little bit of his father's wisdom because God clearly steps forward and says, no, I'm not condoning a civil war where you guys are going to kill each other. Go home. And Rehoboam and all the troops end up going home. So in addition to that, Rehoboam has one other good moment where um, there's a bunch of priests, and we'll get to this when we talk about Jeroboam. But there's a bunch of priests who end up getting kicked out of mm-hmm. Israel, uh, and they flee to Jerusalem, and they're actually received by the king. So, you good know, job, kudos, way to go. Um, and there was actually a dedication to serving Yahweh and leading the people in worship there, that lasted for three years. But hey, for those three years, Rehoboam, <laughs> like wait, three out of twenty-two years of your reign, you did 
all right. So you tried. That was, uh, I don't even know if that counts as trying. That's, I guess it's a little Three bit years. Trying. Yeah. I mean, that's all right. It's more than a day or two. Oh man, Rehoboam. So anyways, the rest of his reign, not very notable, uh, but that also doesn't make it good. So the king of Egypt invades Jerusalem oh, and runs away with a lot of the treasure of his father. There's even a passage where uh, it says that all these golden shields that Solomon had were taken away. So Rehoboam's like, hey, let's make some bronze ones because, you know, that's cool. And if you know anything, the Olympics are coming up. Bronze is not as cool as gold. So apparently that's been a thing since ancient times. Uh, and then you would also see he follows in the marital sins of his father, um, though not to the same extremes. So I'll give him <laughs> I'll give him that, that Solomon had like, I think it was 600 wives. So Rehoboam had 18. So, I mean, by by today's standards, a lot by the standards of his family, He's That's really showing, he's showing some restraint yeah, in that. Yeah, good job. Oh, man. Um, and then he has 60 concubines, but just like his father, um, he would worship other gods. Yeah. So that's kind of, and I guess it's not directly stated, but it's, I, I would infer from the passages that the marriages have a lot to do with that. Uh, Rehoboam would reign for 17 years before his death, and then he would be succeeded by his son, Abijah. So there you go. That's Rehoboam. All right. Good so job, Rehoboam. Oh, man. Great job. Uh, moving on to Jeroboam. I mean, if you want Rehoboam to look good, let's talk about Jeroboam. <laughs> so uh, going back in time. So let's let's go back to when Solomon is still alive. He has a servant. I forgot. I didn't. I should have written down his name, but Jeroboam's father was mm-hmm. one of the servants of Solomon. And then Jeroboam shows a lot of promise as a young man. So Solomon actually puts him in charge of the fortifications of the city and some of the public works, direction of labor, all these different things. So Jeroboam's a pretty pretty powerful guy. He's not like second command or anything, but he's he's got some influence in the kingdom. Uh, and it is the, the Bible makes very clear that Jeroboam is no fan of Solomon. So even when he has all this power, he's like, this king is kind of lame. Uh, so one day it says, while Jeroboam is outside of Jerusalem, he's met by an unusual guest, um, an unusual prophecy. So uh, starting in First uh, Kings chapter 11, verses 29 through 39, it says, and at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, uh, the she... Shilonite, I should have looked that one up, uh, found him on the road. Now, Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped uh, Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in, this, in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who I keep, who kept my commandments and statutes. So even God is reminding Jeroboam here, like, hey, by the way, we're not going to do a complete takeover here because, yeah. you know, David, he did, he did a lot of good. So, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands and will give it to you. Ten tribes. Just to reiterate, just ten. Just not ten. 12. Not 12. 10 tribes. Uh, yet to his son, I will give one tribe, that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take for you, and I will take you, and you will reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. 
And if you listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes, keeping the statutes and my commandments as David, my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David and as will give, and will, I will give to you Israel. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. So there you go. So he gives it kind of this most, I, A, I love, I love Old Testament prophecy because some of it's really weird because it's just imagine like this Jerry Bowman's walking around and this guy walks up to him and just starts tearing his clothes into 12 pieces. Like he doesn't speak before this. Yeah, right. He just like walks up and starts tearing his clothes and he's like, take 10 pieces of this torn garment. It's a like, new garment I just tore. It's like, okay. So he takes the 10 and then he goes into it. But like, I just love that idea. It reminds me of, um, is it Ezekiel who bargains with God about cooking on poop? Do you know what I'm talking about? Or is it Isaiah? I don't remember. I, mm, but there's, there's a passage. I want to say Ezekiel, but I could be very... Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because there's a he passage. He doesn't want it to be human dung or whatever. He wants <laughs> so, to yeah, God, God tells him to like cook on human dung for whatever amount of time it is. And he goes, what about... Uh, what about cow dung instead? And God's like, yeah, that's fine. So like, it's just, I just love that. That was the, that was the Listen, pro- prophets. They're no joke, man. They had to endure some crazy things. Well, I should have written down. It's like one of them has to lay on his side for however long it is. It's just yep. a weird. For on one side for like 300 plus days on the other side for 400 plus days Jeez. back to back. Like, because he's like, God is using them to communicate what's coming. Um, and that's the crazy thing, but and that's, they, they don't have an easy life. And that's an important thing too, because I, I mean, we're kind of joking about it and making light of it, but it is like, it's incredible dedication to actually do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give the people of Israel, these messages from God that, uh, probably seem a little bit of crazy when they yeah. first heard about them. So there you go. But anyway, getting back to Jeroboam, uh, when Solomon attempts to kill Jeroboam, we already talked about this a little bit, but he flees to Egypt where he is received by the King Shishak, uh, which... It reminds me of the the new movement of she sheds, which is like instead of man caves, like wives are building she sheds. So she shacks. Uh, anyways, this is he's the king of Egypt, uh, and he you might remember him from his greatest hits such as sacking Jerusalem, not sacking his greatest inv- invading Jerusalem and taking a bunch of the treasure. So there you go. This would be the same king. Uh, Jeroboam would not return until after the death of Solomon. So Solomon dies. Jeroboam comes back um, after Rehoboam's brilliant political moves. Uh, the Northern 10 tribes are, they're just done right there. And they declare Jeroboam as king. It's like, you know what? We're done. So they, they declare him king. Um, and Jeroboam would rule wisely and lead his people in the worship of Yahweh. Aww. Just kidding. Psych. <laughs> oh, psych. It's the wrong number. So uh, in 1 Kings 12, 25 through 29, it says, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then they, uh, then the heart of this people will turn against the to turn against to their Lord, Rehoboam, the king of Judah. Turn again, not against. Turn again, thank you, to the Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And Lord, by the way, is lowercase. So they're saying return to the Lord, like he's referring to Rehoboam. Yep. Uh, So the king, actually, I'm going to stop there. So to, because we'll pause for just a quick insert. So what's happening here is even though the kingdoms were divided, the temple 
is in Jerusalem. Yeah. So the people in the northern ten tribes, exactly. So the people of the other ten tribes are coming in to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem every year. So they're leaving their country, they're going there, and Jeroboam is concerned, like, well, if people do this, eventually they're just going to want to reunite with the king who's in Jerusalem because there's still such an affection for that area. And then they're going to kill me and I'm the current king. Right. So um, we don't know if that's actually what would have happened, but no, Jeroboam but it's a fearful is... Dis- fearful play out of, of situations that Jeroboam is facing. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing most kings are, it's paranoid about losing their power. So now we get to... Um, like, like, boy, so also we, we can probably imply or infer that uh, Jeroboam doesn't know Israeli history very well, or he's just doesn't care because the next line is, so the king took counsel <laughs> and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and he put the other in Dan. So at the very north and the south of the kingdom. So instead of just letting the people worship the way that God had intended, like God told him to do, And even instead of saying, hey, we're not going to Jerusalem anymore, we're going to worship God here this way. Instead, he's like, hey, you know what worked out really well the first time we tried it? This is familiar for us. Golden calves. (laughs) Like, you know what? Like Moses, I feel bad for Moses too, because he clearly wanted to put the kibosh on this thing. Like he ground up the golden calf and made the people drink it yeah. like like Moses was not messing around and it wasn't enough eventually I mean it's generations later but eventually Jeroboam's like you know should give that a second try we should see how this golden calf thing works for us again so he puts him in the very north in the very south of his kingdom uh, so Jeroboam would banish the priests who refused to go along with the disobedience of God's law these are the priests that would be um Received by mm-hmm. Rehoboam. Yeah. I keep getting the names mixed up because they, they're both Boams, you know? Yeah. So, and Bums. Bad kings. Ba-dum-tsh. Well played. Thank you. So. Uh, you know there's people right now laughing at that. So, thank you th- for laughing. I don't think anyone's laughing at that. They're laughing. Um, I believe. Thank you. So, anyways, after all of this, Rehoboam, see it down, now I did it. Jeroboam would be confronted by this. So, it says, behold, sorry, in verse, in first Kings chapter 13, Starting at verse one. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Bethel is, by the way, is really close to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So it's the very southern point of Israel. The Sorry, the northern ten tribes. Uh, Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Fact check true. That would happen. Uh, and he gave... <laughs> and he gave. That was in the Bible, but that was, that was just clarifying. It did happen. That's true. The Bible does not say fact check true. Uh, and he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against, which he cried against him at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, seize him. And his hand, which stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. So this is this is really cool. Yeah. So basically, the man of God, speaking clearly what God has told him to say, goes up, rebukes Jeroboam. I guess not to his face because he rebukes the altar, but Jeroboam's right there. So he, this is clear what's going on. And then Jeroboam just points at the guy, 
tells his soldiers, sees them. And then as soon as he does, his hand just dries up so that he can't move. Like it withers. Up, yeah. yeah. He can't move anymore. Um, like, and like, I feel like that would convince me that, uh, maybe. Yeah. That'd be freaky. Maybe God's worth listening to, but no. Um, I mean, it convinces no, him. Not. Well, we'll, we'll get to here in a second. Uh, and the King said, uh, so you cannot try back to the altar was also was torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, which is an interesting thing to say. Yes. Uh, when I said, I mean, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God. God or the Lord my God. And pray for me that my hand might be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and he and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go with you. And, but but your whole house, I would. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, and I, that's just, sorry, that's a euphemism basically saying, if you give me the max of what you would ever give someone, yeah, I will not come. I still won't go. Yep. Uh, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. So he went out another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So crazy story there. So all of this is going on. Um, you also get hints of Daniel there where he's basically just like, yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going along with this. So God clearly rebukes Jeroboam and Jeroboam just kind of doesn't even listen. Like, it, yeah, it's just, just so crazy. Like you, you'd think, and I, you always want to be careful judging people in the past because we like to think that we're so much better, which is just not true. And we like to think that we'd react differently if we grew up in that culture, which is also probably not true. Yeah. Um, but you would think that having your hand just shrivel up and die and then be restored would be enough to say like, hey, maybe I should uh, listen to what Yahweh told me all those years ago when he said to not follow other gods and I will bless you. But yeah. that's not what happens. And it is so we'll call it yeah the northern kingdom Israel. There's no good kings that come from Israel. Nope. Like at best, there's some kings that like you know you weren't like super evil. You were just like a bad king. You were bad, but you weren't horrible. Yeah, you weren't like you know you didn't sacrifice children. So kudos. Basically, it's like as good as golf it gets. Clap. Yeah, golf clap. It's as basically as good as it gets for the northern kings. For the southern kings, uh, there's I mean not a ton I guess, but there's there's good kings. Asa. Mm -hmm. There we go. That's, that's, he was. Yes. Yep. All right. Sorry. That was call, call back to the very beginning of the episode. Uh, but there's, there's great Kings like Hezekiah, Josiah, Asa. There's really good Kings. I'd put probably Uzziah in that category. Well, um, even Jehoshaphat, I think is probably in that category. Mm -hmm. And then, and there's bad Kings as well as evil Kings, but there's, there's, there's a mix. Yeah. Um, Israel, not so much. And so later in life, Jeroboam's oldest son would die. Uh, and he would go to war with Rehoboam's son, Abijah, and he would be thoroughly defeated. And Bethel, <laughs> and, Bethel wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. and Bethel would actually be captured by the southern kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam would reign for 22 years and be succeeded by his son, Nadab. So he, uh, he gets an extra five years. Really quick. Good job. Nadab and Abihu are, they're the sons. Of Aaron. Right? Okay. So that, that's interesting. It's not the same Nadab. No, no, right. I know that. But I mean, it's interesting that... Um, Jeroboam echoes Aaron's words about behold your gods who delivered you out of the land of Egypt. And then he also named his son Nadab. So just 
thought about that hmm. now, but I don't know if that means anything, but if anything, if anything, it's a fun fact. Yeah. So maybe he did fully know that like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go full Aaron right now. But anyway, but he doesn't have the nice redemptive arc that Aaron it makes has. me feel like I should have named my son Nadab. So yeah, Gideon, yeah, what a, a dumb name, <laughs> Nadab and Abihu. Those are, those are names. We just won't mention their legacy. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, so to talk about the Kings a little bit, I mean, this will come as no surprise. They're both, they're both really bad Kings. Yeah. So we wouldn't even put them in the okay category. Um, Rehoboam governs over the split of Israel, mm-hmm. of the kingdom that David, his grandfather had built. And then um, that his father kind of politically led into a golden age, but spiritually um, yeah, there was peace it, for sure in Solomon's reign and and wealth. So yeah. it's and that and that's one thing we brought it peace up. With, prosperity. Yeah, we we brought it up with when we talked about Ahab. Where if you looked at Ahab purely through a historical lens, like we would think of him as being a good king, um, but when yeah. we when you add in the spiritual lens, all of a sudden that goes away. Yeah. Same thing with Solomon. If you were looking at if you're just like I don't know if you were ranking the kings of Israel, like you were ranking like the presidents of the US, for instance, like Solomon would be really high up there. You'd be like, oh yeah, like the country was doing really well. People were prosperous. Um, there wasn't any major wars. But then when you add in that spiritual aspect, all of a sudden you see how the spiritual decisions that Solomon makes in leading his people away from worshiping God ultimately lead to the dissolution of his kingdom. Yeah, it's so true. it's a it's a bummer for sure. Yeah, it's a sad story. Uh, yeah, Rehoboam, we'd put in that category of really bad. Jeroboam, I'd also put in that category. Maybe worse, honestly. I don't know if maybe they're the same. Yeah. But uh, I mean, at least Rehoboam- They're close. But... At least Rehoboam didn't drive out the priests. So he's got- <laughs> He's got that. one. And Rehoboam had the three years. Yeah, so. that's true. He had he had the time when he tried. Yeah. So good for him. So that puts him uh, three steps ahead of Jeroboam. How All about right. that? So there you go. That's another <laughs> depressing look at some of the kings of Israel and Judah. We've done, I think, almost all of the good ones. So I, I don't think we've done one on Asa. So maybe we should do an episode on King Asa at some oh, point. But uh, I think we've done all of the other ones that end well. So there you go. Uh, we have a couple or just one question that we're going to answer today. But before we do, uh, just a reminder to uh, hop on and leave us a review on whatever app that you're listening on, preferably of the five-star kind. But it does help to get the podcast out there to more people uh, to continue to grow this community of people listening uh, and reading the Bible together. And also it just helps us for feedback as well. Uh, we've definitely, some of the reviews that we've gotten where they say like, hey, here's things I like, here's things I don't like. We take that into consideration when we uh, plan episodes for sure. So there you go. And then we just do what we want. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Totally just kidding. <laughs> and then we just, and we ignore it. All right. So our question come, that came in today says, or it didn't come in today. Sorry, I don't want to lie to you. It came in a while ago, but we're answering it today. Um, in Mark 3, Jesus appears to dis or dismiss his own family with the question, who are my mother and brothers? I find it really difficult to process. I'm fortunate enough that I grew up in a Christian family that can trace back church going for several generations. As a result, the uh, the dismissal of earthly family seems alien. Is this something that would make more sense if I were a Christian in a family of non-Christians? All right, so this, so we'll read the passage and we'll discuss this for a little bit. So it's uh, in Mark 3, 31 through 35. And his mothers and brothers came standing outside. They sent to him and called him. This is referring to Jesus. 
And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you." And he answered them, "Who are my mothers and bro- who's, who are my mother and brothers?" And looking about those who sat around him, he said, "Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother." All right, so kind of interesting. There's a few things I think that are important to note here. Um, this passage, and this is where I don't know if we'll I don't know if we'll disagree with this or not, but we'll see. Um, I might do just for the sake of just for the sake <laughs> reviews. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't think that this passage is prescriptive of the Christian walk. And what I mean by that is so when there's kind of two ways of looking at the Bible, not the whole Bible, but in passages of the Bible, there's things that there's descriptive passages and there's prescriptive passages. So descriptive passages are describing things that happened. Um, and prescriptive passage, passages are describing here's what you should do. And sometimes those overlap. Sometimes there's things that are describing things that happened, and it's also clear that this is what Christians should do. And some of them are a little bit different. So I tend to interpret this passage not as saying, if you're a human, you should have no loyalty to your family or no like special love for your mom and your siblings or you know your whole family in general, but you should only have that affection for, for other Christians. I tend to interpret it as Jesus saying that because of his role as God incarnate, he is family to all people who follow God. So I, I think it's more of saying that Mary and James and Jude and I think the other one's name is Simon. There's there's a few. There's the, the poor brothers that didn't write books of the Bible, um, but the, that those guys they are um, dear to Jesus' heart. But everyone who is a part of the kingdom of God is a part of God's family. They don't get these special, necessarily elevated positions just because they're related to Jesus. That's kind of how I interpret it there. And it's kind of showing them that in his role as Messiah, family relationships look a little bit different. So that's what I would say. I I don't think it's a call to Christians to basically ignore your family. Um, But I also think, yeah, this passage can also mean different things to different people because I know uh, a few of my close friends are, they come from, homes where they were not raised mm-hmm. um, Christian. And in fact, some of them have, have really poor home lives growing up. And so for them, this does take on something different because for me, I, I have a, a wonderful family that I love and have great relationship with all of them. Um, for them though, for, for a lot of them, their family kind of became the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say the church, I mean the people in the church. Yeah, That there was um, father figures in the church that they could look up to, that they, that they had friends who became like brothers. Um, they met their wives at the church, like, you know what I mean? So like, it, it kind of became this really healthy, holy expression of being able to find family in the family of God as well. So I don't think that's what this passage is talking about, but yeah, it, it, I could see how that would also kind of mean something a little bit different if you, uh, if you didn't grow up in a family that you have great relationship with. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't disagree. Actually, I think to, to reinforce that a little bit, you got to remember some of the context of the times. Everything was family driven. It was family business, family occupation, family status, family, you know, socioeconomic status. You you maintain your family together. I mean, the, the homes that you lived in were not just homes like we have where it's me, my wife, my three kids, and that's it. But it was it was people like it was the it was, it was the extended family. And so I think Jesus in this moment is, is taking um, the conversation and, and bringing it, it, it to a high, he's elevating it, so to speak, where there is this picture of the family of God is not exclusive to specific people, but it's, it's, 
surrounded by those who are of the faith. Like it, and so I do think there is a little bit of the projection of what's to come in in Christianity, a, a part of the family of God. Because even I mean, today, even as we're recording the podcast, like the same the, the family or like uh, friends that you have that I have too. Five yeah. years today, like they're celebrating five years of marriage day. They met in the church. Um, mm-hmm. And and so there's layers to the conversation, but I think a lot of it is like Jesus is taking this conversation and elevating it and saying, listen, here's the deal. No, no one's alone now. Like it's no longer about my own family unit because that's what it was. It was about how do I provide for my family? Uh, but now Jesus is, is provide or preemptively, pro- what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's leading to a much bigger conversation because if you look into the book of Acts, what happens then too? It's they, people leaned in, sold their possessions so that everyone would be without. I mean, I was even reading Leviticus today, part of the commentary, the idea of like within the Christian community, poverty was not something that, that should exist. That's why the standard and expectation, that's why the, the challenge in leaving, if you, if you have, uh, if you're a farmer and you've got grain, you let some of the grain fall to the wayside because those who are maybe more poverty driven right. are able to be provided for. Like that's the family of God. That's the picture that the church is supposed to be. Now, do we always do that? No. Um, are we, do we, should be, we be striving for that constantly? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think that's part of the picture. That's part of the tension here is, is Jesus is taking the conversation and, and elevating it, um, where there is no preference, there is no priority. Cause that's the other side of it too, right? Cause the context is like, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. No one gets, you know, special treatment. These are, this is the, this is my family. The family of God is family. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the beautiful picture of you know, the large C church in general, like we are the body of Christ. Um, and so there is a lot of that allusions to it. Um, and I'll just be honest, man. I, I love this question because it is recognizing maybe your own blind spot and saying, man, I was raised in a Christian home. So I've always had good family. That's a good point. Um, and is, if I were to be outside the family of faith, would that have, I, I think, yeah, maybe, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a challenge. Even Jesus's brothers and mother had to wrestle through is what what really is family anymore in, in regards to Christianity? What has God done? He's actually reinstilled and reinvigorated the family unit, not being family specific by a na- via name, but Christ centered specific, like God, the God's kingdom family specific. So, um, so I think there is that layer to it. I think there is that part of the tension where Jesus is elevating that conversation, um, and he's also saying, "Listen." I think it's also alluding to his stature and his status. Is like, listen, I. I'm in some respects, as will be revealed later, he's, he obviously isn't revealing this entirely. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God, but he's also the servant King, which is another big layer to the conversation too, which is one of the things Mark is big on. I think that's one of the themes of Mark is the whole idea of servanthood Mm -hmm. uh, of the Messiah. So anyways, like those are the thoughts that I have as I process this and, and, and I could see it really be um, this tension that Jesus is just trying to elevate the conversation and, and widen the scope of understanding about what does it mean? Families fight for each other. Families provide for each other. Families in, involve each other. Um, and as part of the family of God, it then elevates that conversation too. So, yep. So you go. Hopefully that was a helpful answer. If not, just say my answer was better and we're good. There you go. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm just kidding. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a reminder that we are a resource of the Grove Church, but not the only resource of the Grove Church. If you go on our website, you can find all of our past podcast episodes as well as our past messages and uh, our life in them blog that gets yeah. updated weekly so i wrote this one's this week's one so Follow. if you ever wondered the story of 
the guy who wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus. That's what it's about. So oh. fun, fun facts ready yes. to go. I guess they're not fun. It's actually kind of a depressing story. But it's it's got a good moral to it. Anyway. Uh, and That's also, awesome. uh, if you've been blessed by this podcast or just in general the ministry of the Grove Church and you would like to financially contribute to it, you can also do that on our website. If you go uh, to grove.church, there's a give button in the top right corner. Well, anyways, that, that wraps it up. Yeah. Have a great day, guys. See ya.